Hi, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hoffberg, and today we are joined by Dr. Ray Tucker. Ray is an assistant professor in clinical psychology at the Louisiana State University, and he also serves on the board of directors with the American Association of Suicidology. Uh, Ray has recently been honored with the APA Division 18 Award for Distinguished Professional Contributions by an Outstanding Graduate Student, and he's also an Outstanding Psychology Trainee Award with the VA section, and we're really thrilled to have him on the show today to talk about his work around transgender veterans. Um, We're going to chat about two of his recent publications, and we'll get into that in just a moment, so welcome, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So as we always do, let's start with a little introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself and the mitigation of suicidal behavior lab you work in and also sort of your path and how you got involved in this work. Absolutely. So I am a first-year assistant professor at Louisiana State University. I completed my Ph.D. in clinical psychology at Oklahoma State uh, University under the direction of uh, Dr. Larica Wingate and the Suicide Risk and Resilience Lab uh, there. So that was between 2011 and 2015, 2016. That research lab, um, we broadly investigated suicide risk and resilience within college student populations with a particular interest in suicide risk and resilience within underrepresented groups. So being in Oklahoma, some, uh, a good amount of our work uh, was in uh, indigenous populations in the community across multiple colleges, but also at our university. Uh, as well as uh, work with black college students, again, both uh, in our state as well as uh, nationally, particularly those at historically black colleges and universities. Um, So really my work within uh, marginalized population suicide prevention uh, began there. Uh, I was very lucky to complete my uh, psychology internship at VA Puget Sound in Seattle, uh, where I had a chance to work with uh, Dr. Mark Rieger, who does pretty much anything suicide prevention uh, related to veterans, does quite a bit of uh, longitudinal work and uh, sort of epidemiological work, understanding the prevalence of suicide in the veteran community, uh, as well as brief interventions for reducing suicidal behavior. But I also got a chance to sort of tag team with Karen Laha Vote and uh, Tracy Simpson while I, was there, while I was there, both who do uh, health disparities work within within veterans. So that can be uh, in female veterans and LGBTQ uh, veterans. And they had a small grant to uh, sort of understand the relationship between suicide risk factors and resiliency factors and uh, transgender veteran suicide and collected some data on that prior uh, to me uh, entering for internships. So I got to work with them on the two publications that we're going to talk about later. So that all led me up to coming to Louisiana State University and beginning the uh, Mitigation of Suicidal Behavior Laboratory, which uh, continues our work in sort of the broader uh, suicide risk and resilience literature, but with a real specific focus on marginalized populations. And a lot of this work in the last two years has been uh, within transgender veterans. This research has also coincided with uh, quite a bit of clinical service and um, and training within uh, clinical endeavors in the VA for suicide prevention. So for a year uh, in graduate school, I got to work with the suicide prevention coordinator at the Oklahoma City VA uh, doing suicide risk assessments in our inpatient unit and doing uh, follow-up care as folks uh, transitioned out of of the inpatient uh, services. Uh, Additionally, I worked with the uh, veterans with serious mental illness and veterans who recently uh, uh, experienced spinal cord injury while I was at 
uh, the VA in Seattle during my internship year and, and sort of specialize in continuing to hone some skills, uh, working with high-risk veterans around uh, suicide-related behaviors. Very good. So, uh, again, we're really thankful to have you on here. And as you mentioned, a lot of your work focuses on health disparities and vulnerable populations. And so today we're really going to talk about transgender veterans and suicide risk and some of the recent work you've done. So just jumping in with the uh, first pub, which is in uh, the journal Suicide and Life-Threatening Behavior, this one's called Current and Military-Specific Gender Minority Stress Factors and Their Relationship with Suicide Ideation and Transgender Veterans. Reading through the abstract, the first line that stood out is the idea that transgender veterans may be as high as 20 times higher risk than non-transgender veterans for suicidal self-directed violence. Um, obviously, that number is quite stunning. Can you kind of break that down for us? Absolutely. So we're really starting to just understand uh, how uh, the, the prevalence of suicidal-related thoughts and behaviors in transgender veterans. And uh, the, the study that I'm referencing is a 2013 study by John Blasnish, who's uh, currently at VA Pittsburgh and also a collaborator on the publication that we're going we're gonna to talk about later as well. So Dr. Blasnich uh, used the VHA records uh, between, uh, so the, the patient health records in the, in the Veterans Health Administration from 2000 uh, to 2011, uh, trying to understand the prevalence of uh, gender identity disorder. And this would be the predominant marker of somebody who would be identified as transgender in the VA system. An individual would uh, be diagnosed with this disorder, and that would indicate transgender status in the, the health records. So that was between 2000 and 2011, and then he sort of cross-referenced that with the Suicide Prevention Application Network data, or SPAN data, which is the, the data that suicide prevention coordinators uh, keep regarding suicide-related events within their VA uh, hospitals. In that time, uh, when they had SPAN data, so 2009 to 2011, he cross-referenced just the, the prevalence of suicide-related events within those uh, individuals with a gender identity disorder diagnosis. So suicide-related events would be considered things like aborted suicide attempts, uh, planning for suicide, or um, uh, suicide gestures in which a means of suicide was involved. So somebody you know, pulling out their means for suicide but uh, not eventually making a suicide attempt. So these, these events were uh, recorded and uh, compared. And what he found in, let, let's take the year 2010, for example. So the prevalence of suicide-related events in the broader VHA records, not just those within, uh, with a gender identity, identity disorder, the, the prevalence for suicide-related events was 202 out of every 100,000 veterans. When, we look, when Dr. Blasnick looked at this, uh, just in transgender veterans, that number was 4,216. So that is 20 times more in prevalence in that exact year just by the simple comparison between uh, individuals with the gender identity disorder uh, diagnosis and those without. Yeah, thanks for drawing attention to that study. And uh, we did a podcast with Dr. Blasnick on some of his work and um, encourage our listeners to uh, check that one out for more details. But again, I think that does a great job to set the stage why this topic is so important and why we're taking time today to uh, go into more detail with some of your current work. So just, um, just to kind of help us understand why transgender veterans might be at increased risk, uh, you introduced this idea of external and internal minority stress. What does that mean? 
So uh, external and internal mi minority stressors really dates back to the early 2000s and the minority stress uh, model of trying to understand why folks who uh, identify as lesbian, gay, and bisexual or sexual minority experience negative mental health and health outcomes uh, more compared to uh, those from the majority, ma majority population. So ideas of external minority stress, sometimes called distal minority stressors or enacted stigma, are things happening to a minority individual due to their minority status. So in our study, we were looking at external minority stressors for transgender veterans, uh, both during and after service. So ideas that we were looking at for during service were things like uh, being investigated for uh, one's gender expression, potentially to be uh, discharged from the discharge from service, or actually being isolated from others uh, in a platoon due to uh, gender expression. After service, these things would include uh, things like being harassed or being laughed at in public, being shamed in public for gender expression. So again, these are things like discrimination and isolation that occurs to a minority individual due to their minority status. Internal minority stressors are sort of the internalized state that can potentially come with uh, the experience of these external minority stressors. So something like fe feeling shame or wishing that an individual wasn't transgender or like during service, we looked at ideas like, again, shame, uh, transgender shame or stigmatizing of somebody's self because they're uh, transgender status, but also um, a vigilance and a need to conceal gender identity to make sure that somebody's expression is, is not seen as transgender, this uh, additional internalized focus that can be detrimental. We adopted the psychological mediation framework that believes that uh, external minority stressors experienced, again, discrimination, isolation, results in increases in these internalized minority stressors, so such as shame and, and trying to conceal one's identity. And it's that sort of pathway that then results in disparities in health outcomes. So in our study, we investigated the suicidal ideation both in the past two weeks and in the past year. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down for us. So, you know, I'm kind of seeing that we have these external forces and then the internalization of how that stress might uh, impact your health, your mental health, and your um, suicide-related outcomes. And I understand that you looked at this with both, I'm sorry, was this with transgender troops and veterans, or what was this study with population-wise? Absolutely. So this uh, was a study of just over 200 self-identified transgender veterans. So these were not active duty military. These were folks uh, discharged from service. Very good. And um, what did you find in this study? So we found quite a bit of support for this psychological mediation framework, the idea that, like you said so well, these external forces sort of uh, seem to relate to internalized uh, negative feelings as a result of this stress and that being related to mental health outcomes, what we found was uh, support for the idea that the external minority stressors experienced in the past year, so this would be external minority stressors after service, uh, was related to past year internal minority stress, uh, so things like transgender shame, and that, the, that relationship predicted both the experience of suicidal ideation in the past year as well as in the past two weeks. And then we also try to consider uh, depression symptoms outside of suicidal ideation, just to see if, if maybe this relationship was sort of just because of 
uh, other depression symptoms. So we co-varied these statistically uh, and found that still that, that psychological mediation framework of these external stressors to internal stressors to suicidal ideation, both in the past year and the past two weeks, uh, was still significant. So it seemed to be something potentially independent of depression symptoms. So that was all minority stressors related to after service. Uh, we also found some, um, some evidence that the experience of those external and internal minority stressors during service could still be related to recent, relatively recent suicidal ideation. So we found that the uh, experience of external minority stressors was related to internal minority stressors during, during service. So again, this would be the idea of being investigated for uh, one's gender expression or being isolated. This predicted or is correlated to transgender shame and trying to conceal transgender identity during uh, military service. And regardless of how long this was, how long you've been discharged or a transgender veteran had been discharged from service, this still predicted suicidal ideation in the last year and suicidal ideation in the last week. And so some of our, our veterans were, you know, 40 years past service. So it, it, it seemed to be not just related to how long ago this was, that maybe it could be, it could be influencing suicidal uh, risk for suicidal ideation uh, years later. Very powerful finding. Um, and thanks for explaining that for us. Um, before we get into sort of some of the more clinical implications, of this research, we want to kind of just turn now to the other publication. Um, this one was released in Psychological Medicine, and it was called Hormone Therapy Gender Affirmation Surgery and the Association with Recent Suicidal Ideation and Depression Symptoms in Transgender Veterans. So um, give us the rundown on that study. Yeah, so th these data came from that same uh, sample of just over 200 transgender veterans who graciously gave us their data through a small grant through uh, VA Puget Sound that I mentioned sort of earlier on. And really uh, what my team was trying to investigate here was what is the relationship between uh, recent symptoms of depression, recent thoughts of suicide, and the history of transition-related medical intervention. So this is uh, of course, something that uh, is constantly discussed in healthcare initiatives for transgender folks, both broadly and within the VA. And we wanted to try to provide some data uh, as to whether or not these relationships exist, whether they're resilience, risk, or, or null. So we had uh, 28 transgender veterans who indicated that they had had gender affirmation surgery on both their genitalia and chest. We had 37 transgender veterans who had identified that they had uh, surgery, gender affirmation surgery on either the genitalia or chest. So one uh, half of the body, which is sometimes colloquially used in transgender communities to discuss uh, gender affirmation surgery procedures. We had 105 individuals who uh, had a history of utilizing hormone therapy for gender affirmation, but no surgical interventions. And then 36 folks uh, with no history of any sort of transition related uh, medical intervention. And generally what we found was a fairly significant finding that folks with the gender affirmation surgery on both the genitalia and chest, as well as the history of hormone therapy, uh, indicated the lowest incidence of suicidal ideation in the last year, suicidal ideation in the last week, as well as symptoms of depression more broadly compared to folks in those other, the, the other three categories, surgery on one half of the body, hormone intervention and no surgery, 
and uh, no intervention. So maybe one, one, a couple of the striking findings for me was indication of past year suicidal ideation in folks who had surgery on both halves of the body. 21% of individuals uh, indicated suicidal ideation in the past year, whereas individuals uh, who had you know, surgery on one half, hormone or hormone therapy or no intervention, those rates were between 52 and 67% of the sample uh, within those categories. So almost uh, three times more likely to experience past year suicidal ideation. Pretty similar findings for suicidal thinking in the past two weeks. So again, the group that had surgery on both halves of the body, 3.6% indicated suicidal ideation in the past week, whereas uh, folks with gender affirmation surgical procedures on one half, uh, that number was 45. And then individuals with no intervention, that was uh, 39%. So a pretty substantial decrease in these estimates of suicidal ideation in those who had had surgery on both halves of the body. Uh, we also tried to understand uh, as to whether or not part of the reason why this uh, resilience to suicidal ideation was seen by transition-related medical intervention was potentially due to lower depression scores. And that's generally what we found where folks, again, within the, the, uh, the sort of more comprehensive surgical intervention category had less uh, symptoms of depression in the last two weeks, and that was related to less suicidal ideation in the past two weeks as well. Very fascinating. And so just to kind of uh, run that back by you, so it sounds like those who had gender affirmation surgery also experienced sort of less recent suicidal ideation and depression symptoms. And um, any explanation why that might be the case? Well, I think when we, we tie in some of the work from that previous study, we mentioned what, what we found in that external internal minority stress paper was really our strongest correlate of suicidal ideation that paper was this internalized feeling of shame about being real, being transgender about one's gender identity we have some some research to suggest when we uh, added this into this paper although it's not within this manuscript uh, we found that that those transgender shame also decreased so this part of the reason this might be is that the sort of more comprehensive surgical interventions may be related to the least amount of these internalized negative states such as shame, such as depression, uh, gender dysphoria, these sorts of ideas. So uh, it might reduce one of the more prominent correlates of suicidal ideation. And yeah, so that might be uh, part of this uh, reason here. We did also mention uh, within our discussion that certainly it could be that some of just the, the healthiest folks that also had multiple surgeries were reporting in this study as well. So this is cross-sectional data and we find it to be fairly promising about the potential for gender affirmation surgery to be, a, you know, a resilience factor to suicide, but still uh, some work needs to be done to understand the, the longitudinal relationship, the causal relationship there. So thanks for breaking that down for us and just kind of thinking about what we, what we can take from the study, but also um, what are some limitations or areas that you would like to explore in the future to help us understand what this research all means for our transgender veterans? Absolutely. I, I think one of the main things that this study really can't give us an idea of is how many individuals uh, actually desire or have medical relevance or need for certain transition-related medical interventions. So what we know from the broader transgender population, that not 100% of transgender and gender nonconforming adults desire 
uh, gender affirmation surgery or multiple affirmation surgeries. So this was, you know, although we think a pretty important study, it's pretty rudimentary. We're not, we're not really taking a nuanced approach of understanding, you know, how many people in the, that provided data that only had hormone intervention related to transition-related medical intervention actually desired or would uh, be interested in or even have access to gender affirmation surgical procedures. So I think there's a lot of nuance between these categories that wasn't um, captured by this study. Additionally, this sort of implies that gender, uh, gender identification is fairly static or somebody identifies as transgender all the time or not. You know, we, we're starting to understand the fluidity of, of um, gender identification. And so uh, I think more needs to be done within this research of uh, taking less of that sort of categorical approach that we did, both sort of lumping transgender folks uh, in together, transgender adults, uh, veterans uh, in together, but taking more of a dimensional understanding of gender identity as it relates to suicidal behaviors and interest in access to and historical use of uh, gender affirmation interventions. Additionally, the study didn't have data on uh, whether or not folks were receiving psychological counseling related to, to gender affirmation and understanding one's gender expression as well. So when I use the term comprehensive intervention to sort of represent that category of folks who had multiple surgeries, that terminology probably isn't accurate either as, you know, we don't really know how many folks also were uh, receiving uh, or desired uh, psychological care uh, as it relates to gender affirmation. Just to understand the context of this research a little bit more, transgender veteran status has been kind of um, something that policies and healthcare services available have shifted over time. When was this data collected and how does that uh, might influence your results? Yeah, so all of these data were collected, I think, before the end of 2014, but certainly uh, before the lifting of the, the transgender service ban, where uh, folks were allowed to openly serve as, with a gender identity that's uh, transgender or gender nonconforming without uh, discharge from the military. So this was all prior to the lifting of that ban, and the vast majority of this, these data were also collected uh, prior to the updated VHA directives uh, about inclusive nature of, of care for transgender veterans, uh, non-discriminatory care, uh, although some of uh, these data were collected while that VHA directive was updated between 2011 and 2013. So some of it, some of it were collected during that period, but all of it was collected prior to the lifting of the transgender ban. Very helpful. And of course, we look forward to um, seeing more research come out in this area from you and your group. Just turning now to some of the more clinical implications, taking both these studies together, um, what can we make of this data and these results and any advice for clinicians that they can kind of apply in their next session? Certainly. So we're hoping that these two studies together provide some more understanding about the increased rates of suicidal ideation and suicide attempts and general suicidal behavior in transgender adults. So continue to, to uh, bring in some awareness of this concern but also identify some of these unique factors that, you know, in our training for uh, suicide prevention, suicide risk assessment and management, we probably just didn't have exposure to. So the idea of something like integrating these unique minority stressors or the unique healthcare needs of a transgender or gender nonconforming veteran, uh, we're hoping to provide some data on whether or not those unique factors relate to suicide, 
which uh, between the two studies they seem to, they seem to be important factors at some level, as well as provide uh, clinicians with really uh, hopefully great resources within the discussion section that they're not left without an understanding of how to integrate these or at least some additional readings. So we cite the World Professional Association of Transgender Health Guidelines or WPATH guidelines as really great resources for understanding these unique healthcare needs in transgender folks, as well as sort of the, the best professional suggestions of, of how to work with gender affirmation care, being inclusive and being uh, receptive and in, in providing is strong, culturally sound care to transgender individuals. So we hope that the, the manuscripts also have some of that information um, in, but provides enough awareness for clinicians to consider these you know, external prejudice and discrimination and how it could influence some of the internalized states that they may already be, might be assessing, things like depression or um, self-hate, negative cognitions, these sorts of things. Um, so hopefully it provides information on that particularly because maybe our, our standard suicide risk assessments just won't have that information readily available. Excellent. And we'll certainly also give our listeners a link to the WPATH guidelines so they can take a closer look. So we really appreciate your time today, Ray, breaking all this down for us and um, look forward to hearing more about your research as more comes out. Um, anything you'd like to leave us with before we let you go today? Uh, no, I don't think so. Thanks for taking the time to, you know, disseminate some of this work, and I'd be happy to come back and chat again later. Yeah, we'd love to have you back again. So thanks for uh, listening, folks. That'll be it for today's Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. Join us next time for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention, mental health, and resilience. Take care. Take care.